Welcome to the 0400 Podcast, the podcast for dreamers. With me, Brent Campbell, Spencer Askew, and I'm Jacob Haynes. Welcome. Good morning. It's pronounced askew. Askew. Except not, actually. What's going on? Well, four in the morning. Today is Friday, October 1st, 2021. If you can believe that. So what are we drinking today, Mr. Jacob? Man, it's the same as last week, a Guatemalan from Onyx, and my taste is coming back more and more. Good. I thought you were about to say Guatemalan from Guatemala. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It does taste slightly aged from last time. Yeah. It can it can increase in flavor over the like over three weeks within three weeks of roasting. So Wow. Well just to clarify, I was being facetious. <laughs> you learn something new every day. All right. What you got for us today, Brent? You got a five minute share? I guess I got the five minute share today. So what I think I want to do is uh somewhat of a visualization. If you guys are a game. It's called yeah. called No Limits. Totally. Alright. So you guys have a piece of paper and a pen before you. There you go. So I want to invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable. And just listen to my voice as we go on this journey called No Limits. If I had no limits, I would do. What would you do if you had no limits? Just see it. Whatever you see, draw it. If I had no limits, I would own. What would you own? If I had no limits, I would create. What? If I had no limits, I would experience. If I had no limits, I would contribute. How? If I had no limits, I would go. Where? Whatever comes up for you. I want to invite you just to represent it visually on that card. It could be a symbol. It could be a little doodle. It could be a word. I had no limits. Who, what, how would I be? For those of you listening at home, please join us. And we'll just take a minute or two. Take a moment to finish up your drawing. Beautiful. Yeah. Are we open to share? Yeah. Absolutely. First and foremost, what was that like for you guys? I wanted more time to think about it. Mm. 
Okay. I mean, or I guess more time to feel about it mm-hmm. because anytime I feel like I go to places where I'm imagining like deep desires, it's emotional, mm-hmm. you know, like it's powerful. So I'm, I'm imagining this, this thing, this place, this, whatever it is. And having a, like a real physical, visceral reaction in my mind, almost like I'm there. Mm-hmm. So what did you draw? I, I drew the view from my back porch. If I had a back porch that mm-hmm. had a beautiful view <laughs> and, um, it's a, a mountain and, and the trees along the mountain and a river coming down through the mountain. Um, I picture there being like a cave at the top where the water comes from. Wow. I love that. And, um, and it's, it's a place that who knows if it exists in reality, but I go there in my mind all the time. Like this, this isn't like something I visualized just today. Like I visualize this place pretty often. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, it's, it represents a lot of things to me, mainly like the freedom of, of, of wildness, of having a space and wide open spaces, you know, um, a place for family and friends and community and adventure and exploration. Mm-hmm. How does it feel to look at that drawing? It feels hopeful in the sense that it might be out there, you know? Um, but even if it's not, it's it's peaceful because mm-hmm. I can go there in my mind anytime in my imagination. Mm-hmm. And I think we briefly touched on this last week, but like I feel I feel like I meet with God there, you know? Like there's there's it's very it could feel isolating, but it's not, you know. I'm by myself usually, quote unquote by myself, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. I actually feel fully present and engaged with something else while I'm there in my mind and it's transcendent, you know? I love that. I love that drawing. How about you, Jake? I drew myself in stick figure form, arms open. Hmm. And there's a bunch of little circles all around me because those are experiences, opportunities, everything is there, you know, mm-hmm. it's manifested. It's open to me. The experiences, if I have no borders, no boundaries, how does it feel to look at that drawing? It feels strange just looking at it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. What about you, Brent? Uh, very similar to Jake's, actually. I drew a stick figure version of myself that's totally open and has a big heart that's just radiating hmm. out. So he's not being protective over himself as much as he is just freely sharing enthusiasm. And this is my dream for me. This is who I want to be. And what I would submit is that that means that this is who I am. Hmm. I would submit that who you want to become is who you are. That's why you want to become them. I think that's an interesting th- uh, thought experiment. Maybe not in every way because our mind can be captivated and uh, captured by fantasy. But this doesn't feel like fantasy. If what you feel is freedom. Because fantasy is an escape from reality and freedom is a part of reality. Mm. So yeah, I just thought I'd share that little meditation this morning. Or it's not really a meditation, it's more like a visualization. Uh, I wasn't sure how that would translate over a podcast as far as, you know, taking, which is why we didn't take much longer. Right. We could have. But if you enjoy that experiment, uh, you can tap into that anytime. So just an interesting thought experiment. If I had no limits what would that look like? And it's just a way to shake us out of our um, 
the restrictions that we seemingly place on ourselves. You know what else I see? It's really, really similar to what we just experienced with the psychodrama is I see and why I feel freedom, even just looking at this is because it's a reminder to myself that I think that freedom is getting to the next stage where freedom is just, just beyond where I am currently. Like I'm so close. If only I can, you know, be self-sufficient or not need a 40 hour work week job or whatever, put that in the, uh, whatever category, but like, it reminds me it's there. I can cultivate that now. Beautiful. I thought that would be a great way to start today. You know, this is our fourth podcast. We've talked about death and dying and suffering. <laughs> All good things. And today it sound, it felt just felt appropriate to explore and delve into desire. To balance that out. So yeah, I thought that was an interesting way to kind of shake that up. Mm. What do you want? Thank you. The second question of the three. That's really good. What do you want, Brent? No, you've shared via the the exercise, but what else? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think there's an important distinction between desires and desire. There's many things that I would like, many things that I do like, many things that I want more of. Those are the desires, but there is one thing that I want above all, and that's my desire. And I would say that's what a dream is. And I would say that for me, the picture really encapsulates it. I desire my dream and what I want is I desire to be free. I desire to uh, live an unguarded, audacious life, totally freely sharing my enthusiasm for life and wonder. That's my dream. And my life has been a field experiment on how to make that happen. And I've, and I've learned a lot by doing, doing it the wrong way. So I guess what I want is I know a freedom is deep down within me. I know it. I remember it and I want it back. I want to feel it. I want to live out of it. And as an adult, it's interesting as a dreamer and as an adult, it's interesting to see how that fleshes out and how that works out. And how free I really am when I can remember who I am. I would say that's what I want. As far as specifics, I would say those would fall more into categories of desires. I have a vision for career. I have a vision for family, things like this, but all of it's meaningless if I don't have this thing. If I don't really believe that it's possible which I do because I've experienced it to, to increasing degrees in my journey and there's more to come. So yeah, I'd say that's what I want. What about you guys? What do you want? If I were to stop you on the street, who are you? Where are you going? What do you, what do you want? Or, excuse me, who are you? What do you want? Where are you going? What do you want? Freedom. I want to continue being able to reduce boundaries that are set up by other individuals and be able to have the freedom to choose my own boundaries. whether it be with family of someone essentially saying how much time you can or can't spend with them vacations, being able to have the liquid assets to do whatever you want, whenever you want that type of freedom. And that's the thing that deep down I struggle with. I'm like, am I just pursuing, you know, the next goal so that I can have the things right. But deep down it's, 
about so much more, you know, being able to help people more, being able to retrieve more of my time that I can give to my family. When I really trace the roots, it's in, it's in good form where it's coming from. I just want to maximize it even more. Mm -hmm. Now I think that's an important conversation too, about being curious and checking ourselves. Is this a worthy desire? Is this a worth worthy dream? Or am I just trying to accrue things that I like? Things like that. I think that's an important conversation because I've seen it go both ways where people go to total living, living for the moment. Uh, which is different than living in the moment. And so instead of being awake in the moment, they're living for the moment, which means they're not awake. So they're living for pleasure, spontaneity, you know, whatever the flavor of the week is, flavor of the day. So I've seen it go that way, and there's a lot of trappings in that for the human. And I've seen it go the other way of complete passivity, of where... And I, to be honest, I get a lot of this through growing up in church, this idea of that this world is not our home, that we're going to get new bodies in this next life to come. And this whole thing's kind of a wash. And we have this thing called the gospel that provides a solution, a way to experience redemption, but it's pretty much like, yeah, sorry guys. Uh, born into this, uh, it's a little hairy. Um, but you know what? Don't worry. You're just going to suffer for a few decades, and then you'll be in heaven, paradise forever. And that always felt a little bit disconnected to me, personally. So there's somewhere in the middle, I think, mm-hmm. for for the human on earth to experience some of this freedom, but not in a way, but stopping short of delusion or fantasy or hedonism or a selfish pursuit. I think it's an important conversation. You know, what's fascinating is we're talking a lot about freedom. And of course, like, and you, you bring up the gospel and you bring up, you know, growing up in church and, and freedom, Jesus says for freedom, you've been set free. Right. But also he says, you're, you need to be a slave. You need to become the least. What does that have to, what, where does that fit in, especially with our like Western culture? You know, our, it's very consumeristic, very materialistic. And I think it's cool that you, you're differentiating between desires and desire, right? I think that's very important because um, not all desires are good. Um, but you're talking about, you know, the person we desire to become is who we are, right? So that that's good. Would you say that? Would you say that that's good? Our, our innate desire? Well, I will, I'll, first and foremost, I'm not a theologian or a Bible, biblical scholar, so I consider myself a layman in, in regards to my interpretation of those things. I w- but I know the Bible says that uh, God gave the, us the desires of our heart. And I know later in the Bible it says that uh, desires can be thwarted, confused, frustrated. Um, they can be evil. In the New Testament, there's a lot of language in there about the evil nature of our flesh or our desire. Mm-hmm. So some of that's a little confusing, to be honest. But desire is good. It has to be. Everything God created is good. And I think, yeah, I think we have to grapple with it because there's a lot of counterfeit desires that we can fall for that really are nothing more than successful marketing attempts. Mm-hmm even if what you're marketing is just an idea. I think desire with that's um, tied to pride is a trap. And I think that's where a lot of the false desires come from is pride. Mm-hmm. I agree. And this actually just brings brings me right back to the hero's journey and Joseph Campbell's work and what it means to be a hero in the archetype of the hero juxtaposed against the archetype of the villain. And any story worth telling 
meaning really any story that you've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, it has this theme in it that what distinguishes the hero from the villain is actually their desire, what they want. And I think there's an important distinction there. Is the desire good or noble in nature? Hmm. Is it, does it bless anyone else or is it just to get yours? And then is that a desire at all? Right. Or is that a compensation at that point? And I think it's interesting, you know, just going, kind of going back, um, essentially the idea that to become free, you have to become a servant, which is that paradoxical nature of, of a lot of the things in the scriptures, you know, um, and you see it at the highest levels of society. I feel like you see it in the people that have everything that are still, you know, miserable. And then like, I, I have this. When I was in high school, I did some prison ministry. And I remember this, this one guy, we went to Angola Prison in Louisiana. It's, at one point, it was the bloodiest prison in the United States, the most dangerous prison. We got to go in there, and we got to sit down and have meals with these prisoners. And a lot of them were there, had you know committed murder. Um, but to meet these people that that had been cast out from society, so many of them were filled with joy like true joy. And in the sense, like they were behind bars for the rest of their life, but they were living their life. Mm-hmm. And, and then I see people that have all the quote unquote freedom they could ever want. The expendable income, you know, the time, whatever, the, the, the ability to escape wherever they want. And yet they still are entrapped by whatever it is that, that entraps them, you know? whether it be like societal pressure or social media or, you know, expectations. So I think there's something there. I think there's something in that, that disconnect or that paradox in that sometimes to become free, you have to let everything else go that you think would give you freedom. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. I'll never forget getting to talk to these people at that prison because it was, it was so, it was worldview shaking for me from what I expected going into it. Um, and I wish I could emulate their joy, you know, some of these guys that I met. Mm-hmm. Bring it to a back down to like pragmatism when talking about desire and making sure it's coming from a good place. What would you say would be a good practice for someone who's listening to be able to outline false desires or desires that are attached to pride and true desire? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think that's a matter of conscience is how does it feel and how, how's your, how's your awareness? What's your awareness level of your own conscience? Have you ever, have you ever met anyone without a conscience? Whether or not they, uh, believe that it was a thing. So we seem to have this internal moral code or moral uh, orientation compass so whether or not you choose to pay attention to it my, my personal belief is a desire that is not uh, mature or um, I guess honorable or something like that uh, would probably have an adverse effect on a conscience so how, how tuned in are you to your conscience and how does it make your body feel when you pursue that desire Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it is how loud is that voice? How loud can you hear yourself, your truest self? We talked about that last week, like when you isolate yourself, what do you hear? Do you enjoy the company when you re-engage with yourself? 
And I think to minimize pride, I think the best thing we can do on a daily basis is practice gratitude. Mm. The five minute journal, I forgot who makes it, but if you look at the five minute journal, you'll find it pretty quickly. And that's one of the things that it, it goes over day and night every day is what were you grateful for that day? Cause it then allows you to be able to see blessings mm-hmm. and instead of being so focused on the things that you don't have feeling actual gratitude, but then it also tunes you into what makes a good day. And as you get closer and closer and you're able to put that into words, what made, what made today great, then you can begin to surround yourselves with things that maximize your true self. Love that. I would love for the five minute journal to be part of our reading list. I think, I think we had talked about that on the first episode, putting together some sort of reading list. Uh, five minute journal is something that 0400 has utilized. That's been very fruitful in so many ways. And I love, yeah, I love that idea. Part of it is gratitude, checking in with that every day. Because there is something very profound and true and spiritual about what comes out of a grateful heart and what comes out of an ungrateful heart. And when we're, when we're ungrateful, uh, that's not great for, like that does not manifest in healthy ways, even if it's justified. So we need to reckon with that mm-hmm. loss and grief and injustice and things like this. But have you ever been to a third world country is an interesting view into humanity. And if you go to a third world country, my experience in some of the places I've been, you do see a lot of, uh, depravity, suffering, you know, people in pain don't have the proper care, things like this, sleeping on the dirt, stuff like that which is hard to see human to human brother to brother. But, but it's also in my experience, not in every way, but in very palpable ways. When I've been in third world countries, the joy among the people is always, it always sidelines me. I just don't at first just didn't understand it. Well, mm-hmm. how are you guys so happy? Cause they are many of them anyway. And I just think that's interesting because here's from a materialistic standpoint, here's someone who has nothing who comparatively speaking, if they would play that silly game that we all do and they start comparing themselves to other people, like namely us, uh, that could foster a very ungrateful heart. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. And it's not. And yet they're happy and I'm the one fighting for my freedom. So what's that about? Very similar, I think, to the prisoner I was talking about, you know. That's mm-hmm. a really cool point. And you're right. You're right. Um, and I, I think it comes down to, like, the more you have, the more you can lose. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said about about detaching yourself from stuff that just fades, you know. And, like, at the end of the day, like, what do you value most? I, we, I touched on this last week with my own because we were talking about what do we want, you know, and I've I answered this question last week about how I want to be governed by my loves and values rather than my fears and insecurities. And fear and insecurity, I think, can be a powerful tool for motivation, but there's a difference in, in harnessing it as a tool and it dominating you. Mm-hmm. And rather than it rather than it forcing me to make decisions based around these things. Um, I want it to be a tool that I can utilize because, because of the things I value and love. And so I feel like in my own life, just kind of tying this back into what we're saying, I've owned so much. I've never been without unless I choose to go without, you know, Hmm. I've never been without food unless I choose not to eat. And and with that, there comes this, this attachment to, to desire or, or this desire for, for the material that, 
distracts me from the desire for the immaterial, for the, for the things that matter that transcend myself. Um, so I think there's something to be said about like, you know, well, I mean, Jesus talks about it too. Just going back to that rich young ruler. He's like, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And, um, Jesus said, sell all you have and give it to the poor. And it doesn't say that he walked away sad because like it was inconvenient or because like he literally says he walked away dejected because he had much. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the battle we're in, you know, especially in the West. We have so much and we're so, we're so comfortable that it's very difficult for us to imagine life without the creature comforts that can actually reconnect us with ourselves and with the people around us. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting that you, I I never thought about this before, but the specific word choosing and we'd have to go back to the Greek to actually figure out what the true root word was, but he used the the word inherit the kingdom, which is interesting because it's implying that he's possibly inherited all that he has to begin with being the ruler, you know? So that's interesting. It's like you have to give up your inheritance to receive true inheritance. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's that paradox, isn't it? Yeah. You got to lay down your life to, to save it. You know, I think it's interesting. Uh, yeah. The, how do you define success? What are your desires leading to? What does that look like? And how do you know when you're there? Literally, how will you know when, when it's enough? This idea of enoughness, I think it's very important in regards to the idea of peace and freedom. How much is enough? I think it's an interesting question. And your desires, what do they lead to? And is that a successful life? Just maybe another way to backtrack on what you were saying about how do you know it's a good desire. What does a successful life look like to you? Another thought experiment uh, we've done before, uh, but it's worth mentioning for those who haven't heard it, is uh, spending time contemplating you on your deathbed. And looking back, what's going to be important to that person? Let's say you're like 100 years old. Only a few moments to live. What do you want that experience to look like? From where you sit now, do you want to be alone and cold and wet, miserable, depressed in despair? Would you like to be surrounded by family, holding hands, saying goodbyes, surrounded by grandchildren? What does success mean to you now? How would you define it? And then what does success mean to you from that point of view? hundred years old with only a few moments to live. And how much or what would that person sacrifice, that 100-year-old version of yourself? What would that person sacrifice in order to live one day of your last week that was probably in some ways tedious and boring and stressful in some ways? Let's say like it's a Tuesday. <laughs> that Tuesday that you just kind of maybe suffered through. Or maybe, you, maybe you had a great Tuesday, who knows? But how much would the 100-year-old version of yourself with only a few moments to live sacrifice in order to experience that dull, boring, stressful day Mm. just one more time? And that's an interesting thought experiment because money is of no value to a dying person. So it's like, how much would you pay? That means nothing. Uh, And so you have, for me, I have to kind of increase the stakes and I'm pretty sure, who knows, maybe I'll be 100 and I'll have evolved at some level and uh, this is a silly thought experiment from, from that point of view. But from where I'm sitting now, the experience of being awake to my life, like enthusiastic about my day, stress and all, that's freedom to me. Freedom to me is an absence of stress or chaos or pain. Freedom to me is being able to be free within it and maintain my enthusiasm and my fire mm-hmm. within it. And so that's what freedom is for me. So when I think about being an old man with only a few moments to live, uh, I would like to be surrounded by family, holding hands, saying goodbyes. 
And if I were given, if like some genie entered the room or something and gave me an opportunity to go and re-experience a Tuesday in 2021 again, just a dull, normal, stressful Tuesday, I think I would probably cut off my own hand (laughs) to to do it. Like literally with a knife. I have a... I have a way to frame this that might be interesting. What would be the exchange rate from just a regular old Tuesday last week to the exchange rate of like a, a few days or a day for your last month? Like I would give up, let's say, two months of the back end for two days at 26 on a random Tuesday. What's the exchange rate? It's a good question. It sounds very close and dangerous to me having to do math, (laughs) (laughs) which you don't want me to do. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's the thought experiment, isn't it? It's like, are you awake? Because this is the idea that haunts me. And forgive me, just one thing about me uh, for the listeners is I tend to repeat myself a lot and not know that I'm doing it. (laughs) So you may hear some of the same anecdotes here and there. So just want to just invite you just to have some grace with me. But, uh, this idea of being awake to your life, cause that's what haunts me is when I have moments of, it's almost like the, the clouds part and heaven descends and I'm, I'm in total freedom and euphoria and enthusiasm again. This is something I'm working towards living in const- consistently uh, getting better at it than ever. But, you know, as you know, in, in the, you know, you know, in life, some days it's just, you're breathing through half a nostril and that's what you got for the day. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's something going on in the world or in your life, in your world. That's a funny metaphor. Breathing through half, one nostril like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so am I awake to my life and how much does that haunt me? Like for instance, Cause it's ticking away, you know? So am I awake to it? Cause I would like to be as long as there's youth in my bones, especially am I awake to it? And I think that's my, I think that's my greatest desire is to be awake to awake to my life, mm. to, to be full of that enthusiasm in spite of whatever's happening, not in like an insane way or, or totally out of tune, but in a profound way. Like when, when Jesus was at the well, and his disciples went off to get food and water and they bring it to him. Well, I guess they didn't have to bring him water. He was right there. But <laughs> they bring him food and, and he basically said, you know, I ha- he hadn't eaten in days, I guess. And, and he said, you know, I have food you know nothing about. And that's always been a, 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 a curious statement that he mm-hmm. made. What is he talking about? What is, the, what is the nourishment that he's talking about that he doesn't need the loaf of bread or whatever? It's always an interesting thing question or interesting statement I think yeah. am I awake to my life and how do I make sure that I'm awake what do you guys do how do you make sure that you're awake to your life well I I think that well I want to touch on something that Jake said too and that was the exchange rate you know and I I have a hard time answering that question because hopefully as an old man Um, I have oriented my life in a way that that day is just as meaningful as this one. That's right. And so I'm hoping that the exchange rate is not like, man, I would give up six months of my hundredth year for six days of my, my 31st year. That being said, I totally, it's different than being on your deathbed, you know? And it's like, okay, I have 10 seconds to live. Will you cut off your own hand to spend one more day as a 31-year-old? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know. And I'm going to go hug my wife. I'm going to go call my parents who will, by the time I'm 100, will have passed. You know? And I'm going to mm-hmm. you know, call friends that have gone before me you know, and enjoy that day and just rest in the fact that I'll be seeing them soon. But um, as far as like being awake to the moment, Man, I know I talk about this all the time, but but jujitsu is such a powerful tool for that because you have to be present. Mm. Um, there's nothing more grounding for me than getting my face beat in. You know, it sounds weird, 
It sounds so weird. I know. I mean, you're literally on the ground probably. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but the fact is like, if you aren't present, you know, you're not getting anything out of it. If you're not present, then it's just like, like external forces causing you to suffer without there being internal processing at all that makes it make sense, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that, um, that's one of the really powerful ways that, um, I get there. But at the same time, I've, I've been trying to take really intentional moments to put down the phone and actually leave it in another room. Cause there are all these studies now that are saying that even if the phone is in the room with you, you have like 15% less attention span and there's your eyes constantly going towards that device. We're all addicted to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that our, that our eye and, and our mental energy is always oriented towards that device. Um, and so if I'm going to do this, I have to leave it in another room, but I just decide, okay, I'm not going to listen to music. I'm not going to listen to a podcast for a few minutes. I'm not going to listen to YouTube videos. Um, I'm not going to listen to an audiobook, anything. I'm going to sit here in the silence and just maybe I'm ironing clothes. Maybe I'm doing the dishes, but in that moment I'm doing the dishes, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not split. And it's, a, it's a way to think too, is to be present. I mean, that's at the root of meditation and mindfulness mm-hmm. is actually, it's a, it's a strange system where they're training you not to think, but that's thinking. It, it's like an awareness. Mm. That's the word that gets used a lot. Yeah, absolutely. How, and why is being present so difficult? Shouldn't it be the easiest thing ever? I mean, look at kids. So something happens in the stages of psychological or human development. Maybe it's psychosocial. Maybe it's part of our nature. You know, maybe it's part of, from the biblical perspective, fallen, fallen nature. But something happens where we lose that ability to be free. We trade it in for a self-consciousness. Not self-awareness. We already had that. But a self-consciousness. I can remember, for me, it was around fifth grade. That's when everything turned and I started becoming, uh, I started to notice more and more how I'm different than other people and what shoes are the cool shoes and Mm. what are the cool tables to sit at at lunch and things like this and how good am I at sports, things like that. Around fifth grade for me, this idea of being cool and fitting in all of a sudden became a thing. Never occurred to me before. And ever since, I've been like clawing my way back to that fourth grader. And I'm almost there. Maybe I am there. But yeah, why is being present so hard? It's, it's interesting that you said that. Because it's, it's almost like it's in the recognition of hierarchies. Is where the dissatisfaction comes from that we carry it for the rest of our lives the moment we, re- we realize there's a har- hierarchy and i'm most likely not at the top then it begins the how do i keep up game the world becomes a pie so if you get a piece that's one less for me mm-hmm. competition which isn't bad competition is not a bad thing so much good can come out of it. Spencer, you can certainly speak to this, I would imagine. Mm. But but we understand from a mental health perspective that when we're competing with others, or excuse me, when we're competing against others, it disconnects us from ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christopher McDougall, who wrote Born to Run, he's a distance runner, ultra marathon runner. And there's, th- there's a whole sect of people that do this. Crazy. In the best way, people that run 100 miles without stopping a few times a year. And he wrote this book, Born to Run, and one of the famous lines from that book is, we don't run to compete with each other, we run to be with each other. Hmm. And if you know any ultra marathon runner, they're all like that. Every once in a while, one of them's like getting after it and I'm going to win this thing and I'm going to make a big name for myself. But for the most part, if one of them falls and stumbles, the other ones will stop and help. At sacrifice their own time. And so it's part of that culture. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just think that's interesting is 
how do we be with each other? And from a mental health standpoint, when we compete against others, it's not healthy for us. We disconnect internally. But when we compete against ourselves, yes, that's character development. How am I, instead of how am I compared to Tom, how am I doing compared to Tom? That's a totally arbitrary comparison. I'm not sure what you could get out of that outside of perhaps pride or shame. Mm-hmm. I'm better or I'm worse. But when you compare yourself to yourself, how am I doing compared to how I was doing a year ago? Absolutely. Now we're in a competition where we're connecting, connecting dots, building character, realizing, noticing cracks in the foundations. That's exactly what I was going to say in that there's a couple things with competition that I, that I think are very important. And one of those is that exact concept. I'm not competing against anyone but myself from yesterday, you know, or six months ago, you know, um, we, I ha, you know, as a jujitsu coach, I have guys that come in and it's a very frustrating sport at first. There's so many options. There's so many options, so much drilling is required. You know, it's just very overwhelming. And so usually about like three or four months in, sometimes earlier, sometimes later, people come up to me, they're like, this is just not clicking. Like, this just doesn't make sense to me. And, um, what I, what I've said, because this is what said was said to me was that if you cloned yourself, you know, however many months ago you started and they came in here, would you beat them? And how badly would you beat them? And everyone's like, well, yeah, of course. I'm like, then you are improving. You're figuring it out. This, this is the sort of thing. It's like, I'm a better, I'm a better man today than I was a year ago, you know? And I may not have the, the, the career of some people or the, or the money of some people or whatever it is, but I have me, you know, Mm -hmm. and the work that I've done and the work we're doing in here together, which has been such a big part of that is that Spencer a year ago would be so excited for the Spencer of today, knowing what's coming. So that's, that's competition. I feel Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, that's, that's, that is, uh, that is healthy competition. And I, I also, this is something that has been said to me recently in that for competition, and this may be more sports specific, but I bet I haven't really thought about it past this, is the idea that it's not the outcome or the performance that matters. It's the preparation. Mm-hmm. It's how you prepare. It's, you know, it's like if I know something's coming up a year from now, I can't necessarily, especially if it's like a competition against another person, I can't necessarily affect the outcome because I can't affect how good they are, their preparation. I can't even really affect how I do that day because there could be any number of factors that go into that. I might be sick. I might be, you know, tired. I might, you know, whatever, might have a stomachache. But what matters is between now and then the work that I put in that becomes a part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we focus on preparation and preparing well leads to better outcomes. Um, but when the preparation is the focus and also the competition against yourself rather than others, you have healthy competition. And so, and I think in those healthier competitions, I feel more like a child again. Like I feel mm-hmm. like I'm just playing a game and it's no longer the rat race that where I feel like I'm in that the world's a pie. I just feel like the world's a game. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And um, is that something I'm trying to learn? The game is super crucial. Great psychologist named Jean Piaget. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of research back in the day on play. and He studied a lot of children and how they invent games that therefore orient themselves to each other and teach them lessons about life and character. And as adults, his point was, we're doing the same thing. Our games just are way more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And sophisticated is an interesting word because are they? Yeah. <laughs> are they more sophisticated? <laughs> but look at the games that children play on playgrounds. And look at the games that the world, the adults play in the world. Mm-hmm. Are they good games? Who knows? Do you want to be in the game? Self-improvement. You have to be willing to be the fool to ever become the master. 
I feel like that to me summarizes. Uh, summarizes that word? Summarizes. Summarizes. I feel like yeah. that's another thing. I'll make up words sometimes. Uh, <laughs> um, I think to me that summarizes that encapsulates the essence of jujitsu. Oh yeah. Is there are no shortcuts. You're just going to fail until you learn. And how much pain are you willing to endure to to find that click moment? Mm-hmm. There's there is a there's this thing they say in jujitsu, and it sounds kind of trite when you're frustrated, but it's, there's no such thing as losing. There's just learning, right? There's winning and learning, and I think that that's the only way that you can make it long term in jujitsu is to have that mindset. And isn't that how everything works? Mm-hmm. Now, some of us are given favor. Perhaps maybe we have parents that are favorable childhoods or parents that um, are very healthy and pour into us and give us, uh, they essentially bestow wisdom on us that we don't have to learn for ourselves. Isn't, but beyond that, it, don't we, even with that even, don't we learn everything through an experience? And we realize, Ow, don't want this anymore. Mm. Let's find a way out of this. And that's the fork in the road. Is the way out of this is do we go out externally and find it somewhere out there? I think that's where we everybody gets lost. Or do we go inside and find it in there? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed within us. The secret place that you're talking to that you reference from the no limits. You didn't say that but you said this place where you meet with God. And I, I believe that's what it's called. This place of freedom within you. When you spend time there and you grow it and you be with yourself, it expands into a huge, huge tree. I think that's the, hmm. I think that's the, what this is all about. The other thing you mentioned there that's interesting is the idea of frustration and anger. You can't interface with desire without it. Hmm. Right? Yeah. If you're not willing to get angry over it, uh, maybe you don't want it actually. Happens all the time in counseling. Someone talking about they, what they want, but it's void of anger if they don't have it. Or for, at least frustration. And one thing I wanted to mention there is, I think this is a very important conversation for humans, but cer- certainly for men, is that anger is good. Because it's one of your primary emotions. All the emotions are equally good, equally valuable. Happiness, loneliness, shame, anger, hurt, guilt, sadness. They're all equally important, equally good. And what I see a lot are people, men in particular, that have been shamed out of, taught out of, moved away from being able to experience their anger in a healthy way, in a good way. Because guess what? If my, if my arm is on fire here, how insane would it be if I just ignore that? Because for me to express how that really feels, perhaps that would be scary for you. And so I'll just burn away. When anger is felt healthily, and felt all the way through, it actually doesn't last that long. But when we don't feel it, when we deny it, it lasts forever. And it gains interests. Interest. I just think that's interesting. What do you do with your anger? And are you willing to feel it? And is that okay? Children are free to get angry. And of course, we know what it's like to be out of balance. Imagine a child having a temper tantrum. And that is a, that is a moment for correction. Okay, this is too much of it now. So we've we've left the ration the rationale or the rationality. And so, you know, what a parent would likely do with a child with a temper tantrum is well, let me ask you, Jake, since you're a parent, what do you do when one of your kids has a temper tantrum? I was literally going to make that example. But you nailed it. It's about validating the feeling even if the expression of that feeling wasn't in a productive manner. Maybe, you know, my oldest hurt the youngest, right? Out of anger. 
what you're feeling is natural and it's okay. We're here to experience that with you Mm -hmm. to know that they're not alone, but it's about the expression of that anger. That's the problem. I think we can take that, take that example on our own, right? We don't have to experience our anger and frustration alone, but we do have to be responsible with the way that we express that anger. We do have to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. For me, we had a rule growing up that my mom set in the house that was, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I understand, I think, I understand her heart and intention behind that family rule. But I won't teach it to my children. Not in that way. Because I somehow, when it made it through my filter of my mind, uh, that turned into, oh, I can't tell the truth. Because I have a lot of things that are true that I'm observing, but they're not necessarily nice. So I think that that was... Um, not saying that my mom did this in this way. I think she, she had a good spirit and heart behind it. But for me, when it made it through my own filter and my own shame, it turned into a lesson of, oh, this is like a game. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I have to read the room, understand who's in it, and then decide how I'm going to censor what I'm seeing. This is the entry into a dysfunctional family unit uh, the popular phrase that's been coined in the eighties with adult children of alcoholics is the elephant in the room. Hmm. The thing that's so obvious, but nobody's talking about it. And so I think it's really interesting not to, again, layman with biblical stuff, but it's part of how I experience life. It is this idea of um, some of the truths in the Bible. And one that I, that I've been kind of chewing on is this idea of, the Bible doesn't say not to be angry. God himself experiences anger. Jesus did when he was here in the body, and we do. So for some somehow, I, I made it through like youth group and all that, and I think this is part of why I walked away from the faith for a long time is because there were so many cracks in the foundation at this point, conversations that were important that I was observing but nobody was having. Hmm. And because especially at that age and youth group at the age, you, so much of it is about pay, parental protection of the children. And that isn't always healthy, I think, personally. So the Bible doesn't say don't be angry, but somehow I ended up believing that 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 was a thing. Don't be angry. It says be angry and do not sin. So there is a way that you can experience holy and righteous anger where you don't hurt anybody, um, but it helps you to focus. It helps you to channel and it helps you to stay stay present when it's appropriate. Like in jujitsu, I would imagine that's got to be a balanced thing. If you get too angry, you're probably going to lose pretty quick. Or you're going to hurt somebody. Or you're going to hurt somebody. Okay, yeah, right there. So the anger actually at some level can help you focus though, can't it? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's even crucial at some level. And it's an aggressive sport. Right. But yeah, I, w- I would say, and this is my encouragement to... Uh, anyone who's listening is if you're angry, be angry. And is there a way that you can honor your feelings in that experience it all the way through in a way that elevates you? It gets to the thing that you're angry about, which is probably an important thing for you. So many of us are, are afraid to share that anger or show it one, because either we've done it before and it's been really big and scary uh, and, and it scared us, or uh, we were taught or told not to do that. Yeah, it seems like there's been such a, a high focus on niceness in our culture when it comes to, especially like men, you know, um, what a nice guy, what a nice guy. I hope no one says that about me, man. I feel I feel like niceness is just kindness devoid of truth. And I think that there's, there's such a thing as being kind and, and angry. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we look at we look at the world. We have every reason to be angry at injustice and and you know deceit and loss and death and all these sorts of things. And it's not kind to bury to bury that when you feel that it can 
be a tool, you know, um, when there's something that, that needs to be the, when, when there is a, a righteous anger, it's not kind to bury that and repress it. Um, but once again, you know, it's also not, we're also not meant to take out on someone else that anger. Mm-hmm. We have to be responsible with how we feel it. We feel it, but be responsible in how, how we express it, maybe. Yes, and we yeah. feel it, but we don't make our home there. Right. Th- I mean, replace that with any emotion. Let's say sadness. Sadness is important to feel. I think everybody would agree. It's not pleasant, but it's important to feel all the way through so that we can get what we need out of it. Our emotions are our messengers. They're trying to get us things that we need. It's the way it's always been. Babies cry out when they're hungry or they need something. And so we're the same. We're the same animal. We're just older and we have this brain that has evolved uh, over the years to um, create cognitive constructions that sometimes can be helpful, but sometimes can take us right out of reality. So if you dwell in any feeling, you get sick. If you dwell in it and you build your home there. If you build your home in sadness, you get depressed. If you build your home in anger, you become uh, full of contempt. When you dwell in happiness, you become hedonistic. Everything becomes meaningless if you make your home in happiness. That's why people that say, when I ask them what they want, they're just like, I just want to be happy. I have follow-ups. What do you mean? You mean all the time? Everywhere in every context? Because that, I can't, I'm having a hard time understanding how that's uh, sane. Something interesting. When we're talking about desire, last week we spoke about if you can't define your desire, look and see what you fear. The same is true with anger. The root of anger defines a value system. So if you don't know, if you're not quite sure what you desire, why are you angry? What's there? What do you want that you're not getting? That's right. What are you angry about? Sure, there's a good reason. Unless you're just addicted to feeling angry. I've known people like that. Yeah. It's a it's a counterfeit strength, isn't it? Mm-hmm. If you can feel powerful when you're angry. But are you actually powerful in that moment? In the truest sense. Maybe if it's in balance. But more than likely, they're the person that lives there is a slave to that anger. So they're not free. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people have that I've met and I was this way for a good amount of time. So I saw it from the inside, but when I lived out in uh, Southern California, uh, I met a lot of, I definitely have like a kind of a free spirit, hippie spirit about me. Uh, like when I see, this is so silly, but when I see like Matthew McConaughey, I'm like, yep, <laughs> brother. Uh, and he's, he's weird, you know, so um, in the best way possible. Uh, but when I was in Southern California, th- there was a lot of that culture of easy breezy, just chill out, you know, no big deal. This too shall pass. And there are some elements in that philosophy and that life or that worldview that make a lot of sense. It's like about detaching from attachments. And I think there's a lot of important things in that. And there's a lot of whimsy and and creativity and spontaneity and freedom in a free spirit. With that said, with many of the people in that culture that I met, they were deceiving themselves Hmm. once I got to know them because they played the part. Chill out good vibes, peace and love, but they were so full of anger and they have used this philosophy or this lifestyle to medicate that anger hmm. and, and try to convince themselves that, that it's not there. And that is in my view, I could be wrong, but incredibly dangerous. Who are you? What do you want? Where are you going? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to sacrifice for it? 
and why? Sounds like a good place to end it. Does that feel like a good place to pause? I think so. Okay. Who are you? What do you want? Where are you going? This is the 0400 podcast, the podcast for dreamers. We'll see you next time. Peace. See ya.